Hello, everyone. We want to welcome our friend uh, Steve Petashevsky today. Uh, Adventures of a Traveling Chef. It's just uh, something that I've been looking forward to. I even have my special um, world travel mug here today um, that I brought out with a, a map on it here. So, um, you know, one of the things uh, that we're going to be covering today amongst, you know, various topics is just the whole uh, explosion of, you know, global flavors, world cuisines, uh, you know, what that means for people who are either looking to work in the business of food, um, you know, getting involved with food production or really any part of the food, the food space. And also what it means for people who are out there, you know, diners and shoppers and people who are interested in in world flavors and foods from different countries. And, uh, you know, one of the great things that Steve will bring to this conversation, uh, in addition to some great storytelling, I'm sure, is just going to be um, you know, kind of what those trends are and then what, you know, what are those health and wellness implications of uh, understanding these foods. So um, just wanted to quickly introduce uh, Steve. He's going to um, kind of be the, the highlight of the call today. He's going to, um, you know, speak a bit. But before I get going, I just want to introduce him briefly. Steve's got a, a long history working um, as a leader in the food world. Really, um, you know, uh, kind of standing at the at the forefront of working with uh, food companies, retailers, uh, food organizations to develop, um, you know, really delicious and healthy food concepts uh, across settings in retail spaces, for restaurants, uh, in cookbooks, and lots of different contexts. And I'm a little jealous because Steve gets to travel around the world and um, taste food and eat all different foods uh, in various different contexts. And he's really, you know, one of the, the best people that I've ever met in terms of being able to translate these things to, um, you know, a food service operation. So all the considerations that would go with, um, you know, running a business around these ideas, but also just in the core sense of uh, translating these flavors to an audience that might not be familiar to them and making it really dynamic and really accessible um, so that people can appreciate, understand, um, all these different food ingredients, how they're combined, uh, what techniques you you kind of uh, apply to that. So um, Steve has a long history working in the business, has written numerous books, um, but really excited to kind of uh, have him uh, jump in here and begin to share some of his knowledge and his passion. Without any further ado, I wanted to uh, introduce you to Steve. Um, he's going to speak for a bit, and then we're going to do some uh, some back and forth and, of course, some uh, Q&A. So uh, take it away, Steve. Thanks, Ken. I appreciate that. So well spoken, by the way. Thank you. I really appreciate it. It's, it's very challenging um, condensing like 35 years of a career into a, into a short time period. But just to kind of lay out some of the things that you were speaking of, um, you know, I'm very, very fortunate because I, I was on the frontier of healthy dining and planned forward cuisine. And it really sometimes is challenging to explain to people your origins and what you've been doing for decades without sounding, you know, antiquated and irrelevant. And so the thing that helps me a lot is the fact that I guess in looking back, even before I was corporate chef for Whole Foods Market, you know, I was very interested in this whole unique um, arena of ingredients that we used to call health foods. And back then, you know, health foods were like uh, grains and beans and sea vegetables and interesting Asian condiments and things like that. And it's just kind of funny how everything has really come full circle in so many ways. Uh, I think I've shared this story with you before, but for the people who are listening, you know, I started uh, and put myself on the frontier when 
quinoa was hard to even find and nobody knew where to get it. I actually had to bring it in directly from Peru with some other chefs that I work with in Miami. We would share container loads of it. And the only kale that you ever saw in any food operation was stuck in a bed of ice garnishing meat and seafood. And so I had to go into the meat and seafood departments of the Whole Foods after the morning butcher shift left and steal cases of kale so I could cook them because I knew that you could do other things with it other than garnish seafood. So it's kind of funny how, how things have, have really come around. And, um, you know, it's been a very, very interesting revolution in so many ways. Um, you, you know, years ago, uh, you know, Plant Forward, which was called vegetarian at the time, was purely, you know, how to cook with vegetables. Now, you, you know, it's clearly more about showcasing vegetables, but adding amounts of protein to it. So it introduces people to, you know, eating more plant-based, you know, ingredients. But I think the thing that really ties this all together for me is something that you said earlier, which is the fact that I am super lucky and I'm really happy to be able to share this information with you because as somebody who writes about food and lifestyle, I get sent to some really interesting places and um, mostly throughout the Mediterranean, North Africa. But what I do is when I go there as a journalist, I have my chef's hat on. And what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to look at these inherently healthy cuisines, these world cuisines, and think about how I can bring them back to our country and operationalize them. In other words, put them into a supermarket like Whole Foods or, or one of the other competitors out there. Or, uh, you know, a lot of the work I do these days is in – um, like fast casual restaurant chains that want to be healthier or colleges and universities that want to be more sophisticated with their food and use their food service programs as a calling card to get new students in. So it's kind of interesting because many of these inherently healthy cuisines, which we're all aware of these days, are delicious and flavor first. And, you know, my opinion is if something's not flavor first, then it's just never going to make it. And so that's the value-added bonus for all of us in being introduced to some of these really global cuisines with tons of flavor that as a side benefit happen to be good for you. So I'm just really lucky. And, uh, you know, I still continue to do this because I love what I do. And I love seeing the results and introducing people to new ingredients they may not be familiar with. So it just continues to grow. I'm really happy about it. So thanks for having me today. Did that answer your question? <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's great. I was wondering if you could maybe um, also, Steve, just share um, just a bit about kind of the, the breadth and depth of your work. Um, other than being a chef, you know, you've referenced now uh, doing some work in journalism and writing. I'm wondering if you could just um, frame out a little bit for the audience here, uh, just kind of the pathway sure. that you took and just kind of how you connected sure. those dots between cooking and writing and research and those, those various yeah. pieces. It was almost an organic, naturally occurring experience. And the reason I say that is because, you know, I started out as a chef. I graduated the Culinary Institute of America, and I taught there for a semester as well. And um, upon leaving, you know, I worked all over the world because that's kind of what chefs did, you know, when they graduated from culinary school. You're young and you want to get as much worldly experience. But what, what changed for me is that, you know, the, the kind of fulcrum in, in my career was I was introduced to a very large natural food restaurant in Miami in 1990, this was. And um, the owner 
had a little tiny place that used to sell natural foods and decided that people wanted to eat more of this kind of cuisine. So he opened up a 400 seat restaurant on the water and kind of tasked me with making it very mainstream. And that's where my interest in healthier foods really took off. Like I mentioned to you before, I, I was an avid reader and I just, I don't know, I, you know, I guess when I think back now, I, I feel like I had a ton of vision. I, I was looking at some menus, Ken, yesterday that I would serve at the Unicorn Village, which is what later Whole Foods purchased because of the, the menu repertoire. And I'm looking at these menus from the 1990s and they're all totally contemporary today. I, I just kind of blew me away. I don't know where I got the vision from and I, I'm just very lucky that I had it because as I look back at this stuff, it was just really far ahead of its time. And I think the reason I'm mentioning this is because a natural outgrowth of these new ingredients, you know, these grains that people had never eaten, vegetables, you know, condiments that were only uh, part of the, um, you know, Asian cuisine scene or North African cuisine. You know, um, I had to start writing. I just felt, again, I was not trained to be a writer and I still kind of look at it as my kind of, you know, uh, part-time passion project, although it's actually become after four books and several syndicated columns and contributing editor for Cooking Light and, you know, Chicago Tribune nationally syndicated columns. I kind of look back at it and go, wow, where did that happen from? And the, the answer is it, it came out of wanting to communicate information to people so I could make it less intimidating. I and mean, can you imagine we were serving 2000 people a day in this restaurant, all from scratch, all using, I think there was like seven canned items in the entire inventory. They were like tomatoes and tuna. Uh, but, but for the most part, it was all from scratch. And I had 70 people on staff and, and all 70 people were immigrants from other countries who would not know the slightest thing about how to cook healthy food. In fact, many of the people from the Caribbean basin were used to literally frying food in coconut oil and serving it. And then I had to kind of change their headset. So the extension of all that was just beginning to write and, and explaining what we were doing and, and why it was, why you should be interested in it. Why, why do you want to eat quinoa? What does it taste like? And what do you do with la lacinato kale? And what's a kohlrabi? You know, all of this was just information based. It was all wanting to, you know, really explain this cuisine and make it friendly, if you will. And, and kind of one thing led to another, like I said, I, you know, at one point in time, I had a reading audience of like 20 million people, uh, because my articles were just, you know, permeating the fabric of, you know, culinary and lifestyle writing. And like I said, it's nothing that I planned, believe me. I mean, nothing that I planned. I was a medical illustrator, Ken. I think you remember that story, huh? And, uh, and, uh, illustrating autopsies was very quiet and there wasn't a lot of feedback, if you know what I mean. <laughs> so I, I just followed my second love, you know? Yeah, very interesting. So tell me, um, tell me a bit, because one of the things I, I always like to talk to chefs about um, is sort of the intersection of uh, ingredients and technique. And, you know, right. given the work you've done around the world and um, having spent, you know, considerable time in various countries, you know, working with families and home cooks and really kind of um, all across the board, uh, all different kinds of experts um, and you look at kind of the intersection of how people use uh, ingredients and how they apply techniques, what are some of those sort of aha moments where you as a chef just kind of, you know, kind of took a step back and said, wow, you know, that really kind of shook me or really kind of right. 
change my opinion or, or change the way I was taught? Or what are some of those examples when you uh, saw that saw that kind of happening? So I kind of kind of sure. coming together. I, I think the first thing I had to look at was myself, and I had to start thinking about what are people thinking about when they cook at home? What are consumers? What's going through a consumer's head when they're shopping for ingredients? And I think the first thing that really helped me a lot was taking my chef's hat off, if you will, and not think like a chef. Think about somebody who just loves ingredients and is going shopping and think about when I get home, how much time do I want to spend making something delicious and how much time do we really have? And of course, that's changed through the years. However, with that said, I think one of the things that always struck me was that if you find interesting ingredients and you can come up with something fresh and seasonal, you don't have to do a lot to it to make it interesting and taste good. And I think that that really expanded and evolved throughout the course of my career. And of course, what helped it a lot was the fact that with farmers markets all over the country now and with the Internet and with being able to get you know ethnic markets all over the entire country from you name whatever country has uh, people living here. In our country, there's a store to buy those ingredients, those uh, you know authentic ethnic ingredients. That made my life so much easier, because I think that, in combination with the fact that all of these articles started coming out about how certain things were healthier for you than others, you know, the interest just evolved in the kind of food that I do, which is, I guess, uh, I guess uh, you know, it's hard to really put labels on it, but I think what I do is. I do um, simple flavor first cuisine that's influenced by countries throughout the world, a lot of Mediterranean and Asian specifically. And um, I think I've shown consumers a way to handle them in their own kitchens with simplicity and respect. Uh, and give you a couple examples. Uh, like, for example, snow pea tips are in season now. I don't know if you're familiar. You probably are because you have a, a large culture out on the West Coast. But snow pea tips are the you know, the leaves and flowering uh, blossoms from the snow pea bush. And when you take a fresh ingredient like that and you saute it with, uh, you know, ginger and garlic and a little hot chili and you just cook it until it's just wilted, it just becomes an incredible taste and there's really nothing else added to it. And of course, you know, that becomes an integral part of your dinner that night because you can serve a killer piece of seared fish or poultry or tofu or tempeh or anything you want on top of it. And then it becomes a complete meal. And so, you know, I, I've, I've tried to look at ingredients for their inherent qualities and do as least amount as possible to them to really make that shine. If that, you know, if that describes it and, and that, and again, it continues to grow as my interest in different ethnic cuisines grow and as the availability of ingredients happen. But, um, you know, that's kind of what I do. And I will say that not only do I do that at home, Ken, but when I'm working for big corporations and universities, I mean, for example, um, I worked with UCLA last year on a, uh, a Mediterranean food uh, event, which actually uh, took the span of two weeks. And how that worked was this is to show you how how exponentially your consumer base can be especially affecting the age of college students who are kind of experimenting some of them the first time with their cooking, right? So, so for a week before that event, 
I worked with their chefs on the phone and at home and gave them a bunch of recipes that were authentic from 20 different Mediterranean countries. And after that week took place, I actually went there and worked with their kitchen and preparing all these foods to offer them to the student body in a huge Mediterranean event, which culminated on a Wednesday or a Thursday where all the med- all the stations set up in the dining room had Mediterranean dishes from the recipes. And then we did a big um, a student engagement center where I set up a huge table with all different kind of Mediterranean tapas. And, you know, we just shared the evening together and spoke about Mediterranean food and origins. So it was just a ton of fun and a lot of education involved, too. So. You know, simple ethnic. Yeah, yeah, that's wonderful. Um, I wonder if you could just take a moment and um, kind of talk a little bit more about uh, your interest in health and wellness, and kind of how you got involved with um, you know writing about that specifically and working with populations who, again, kind of like you said, you know, um, need flavor first food so that it's attractive and craveable, mm-hmm. but also have particular. Um, you know, health conditions that they have to be mm-hmm. um, aware of to actually work with. So yeah, um, I, yeah, I love, sure. I'd love to kind of hear, hear your take on that. Sure. You know, I, I think that, again, it, all of this came out of the um, I, I felt like I was spending way too much time explaining stuff as a chef. In other words, if I had a 350 seat restaurant, I would go out and walk through the dining room and I listen to people the same way that when I wrote a syndicated column that appeared in 300 newspapers, I got all these letters every week, hundreds of them. And so I really was inside the mindset of a home consumer, if you will. And uh, I felt that talking about it and writing about it would de-intimidate healthy cooking and make it accessible to everybody. And therefore, I could spend less time explaining and justifying things and more time preparing and, you know, putting creative energy into menu development and recipe development. That's kind of where all this started, you know. I mean, just the the, the uh, desire to de-intimidate and to educate. What do you see as sort of next up in that world around um, educating people around wellness issues? Or what are those topics or those mm-hmm. ways that you think are going to be effective in the future in terms of helping to uh, unlock or uncover kind of that mm-hmm. next generation of, of people who are health health minded? Sure. Well, you know, I kind of think it's what you're doing, frankly, and that's why I'm doing this, because I think that somehow much of our population has lost the patience to like read stuff. And I think that they now go to the internet for, you know, verification for ideas, for inspiration. You know, I think that being able to look, you know, look at anything you want in the world in, in within 10 seconds is really where it's all going. And I think that this trend of wanting to know what's going on around the world is just going to continue to grow. I mean, I've been saying, gosh, for, eight or 10 years that Vietnamese food was going to be the next big thing. And sure enough, I mean, there's a Vietnamese restaurant just about in every small community around the country. Um, You know, I think the same thing about some of the Mediterranean countries and Middle Eastern countries, you know, I think Filipino food, uh, North African is, you know, I think it's, I think there's going to be continued interest in authentic ethnic. I think that the uh, desire to at least eat more plant, based cuisine is showing no signs of withdrawal at all. And I think that this is not only going to extend into what we cook at home, but it's completely gone into, um, you know, um, companies like Blue Apron and all the other people that send ingredients to your house to finish. 
you know, I think it's just a huge interest. I just, you know, see it continue to grow. I don't see any waning at all, in fact, you know. So I think we're just really lucky. In terms of the plant-based piece, um, you know, obviously we're, as a company, and, you know, you and your career have been very focused on, um, you know, promoting plant-based foods and really helping um, cooks of all types and, you know, eaters of all types to appreciate, you know, the role that, fruits and grains and legumes and vegetables have have on our plate in a in a central way um are there particular things within the plant-based movement that you feel um are most important for uh aspiring cooks uh, aspiring food professionals to kind of get their hands around and really really kind of understand are there kind of any first first steps in that space that you would recommend yeah i mean i think first of all the reason that this trend is good for everybody is it's encouraging more people to eat more vegetables, even, you know, along with a steak or a piece of fish or chicken or whatever protein anybody chooses. I think that vegetables are becoming not only more of a star on the plate, but they're much more of an enhancement. When you kind of look at, you know, vegetable preparation and you look at the colors and the shapes and the flavors, I was thinking about this the other day. So, um, I eat everything and cook everything. And um, I do a lot of uh, plant-based development for a lot of companies. And um, uh, my wife is a vegetarian, has been, you know, forever. And so every time, you know, this company that comes over, and I'm talking about, you know, she has a really big family, so sometimes it could be 20 people here. I was thinking that it's so much more um, interesting to be able to make all these vegetable dishes that I make instead of putting like a roast in the oven or something, which is of course, you know, what I did when I was, you know, living in my own home. I think that, um, is it easier just to put a roast in the oven? Sure, absolutely. And then make some potatoes and have a salad. When I cook now, I must make, I don't know, 12, 10 to 12 different vegetable dishes for people to enjoy. And what the table looks like and the reaction of people who are really not even vegetarian, frankly, is pretty amazing. I mean, it's an, they're impressive visually and from a standpoint of variety on your table. I mean, it's incomparable. You know, I think that the one thing that uh, a home cook needs to learn about vegetable preparation, you know, is the proper way to, to, to treat them. And, and that's probably something that you do on your website, I'm sure, especially for professionals. But, you know, you have to know that a green vegetable needs to be cooked, you know, uncovered and then shocked in ice cold water when it's done if you want to retain the beautiful green color. And you need to know that, you know, like red vegetables with lots of beta carotene work out better if you put a little vinegar and salt in the water. I mean, there's all those like uh, more technical chemical reactions that you need to know. However, with that said, the amount of variety is just spectacular. And, and also, what better way to show a season than to show whatever produce is in season? You know, it's just, I don't know, it just adds an entirely different dimension visually and, and flavor-wise to your dinner table. I, I don't know what I would do if, uh, you know, if I didn't have that to play with, you know? But this is a good segue because Lindsay asked what's your favorite ingredient to cook with. And, um, you know... Although I don't have one favorite ingredient, I I love true seasonal ingredients that, you know, really, really uh, resonate the season. Like, for example, fresh fennel is like one of my favorites. And when, when you say cook with it, I mean, I love to serve it raw in a whole bunch of different ways, too. But like asparagus, artichokes, um, uh, 
acorn squash, something that really just says, hey, it's winter outside. Maybe that's because I live in Florida. I don't know. I kind of, you know, I kind of feel like uh, it's my only contact with winter, even though it's 85 degrees today, is to roast, you know, butternut squash and make a, you know, a, uh, you know, out of it, you know. So, so I think seasonal, strong seasonal ingredients, uh, you know, for me are my favorite because they showcase what season is. This is a really funny question from Diane, which says, if you were stuck on a desert island with only one type of cuisine, what would you pick? It's so hard to answer, but I think if I had to just give you a quick answer, I really love Vietnamese cuisine, and I think that it's everything we're talking about now. It's it's fast. It's extremely healthy. It's so weird. I was in Vietnam last year, and uh, I noticed without anybody having one item on the menu or one badge or one icon that almost the entire country is gluten-free. Because everything's made from a rice derivative except the baguette, which they make the most incredible banh mi with in the world. So, yeah, I think it's Vietnamese cuisine. They use tons of fresh herbs and they'll, they'll take a warm dish and toss like fresh raw basil and greens into it, some of them which we don't even have here. So, you know, it's just like I love that flavor first cuisine, which is simple and it combines hot and cold. And gosh, it's just, you know, it's really an amazing cuisine. And if, if you guys, out there that are listening are looking for a bucket list trip vietnam is the place to go and i would do it in the next couple of years before it becomes too uh you know saturated with uh, other cultures you know it's just a great way to see the country um i'm going to just go and answer a bunch more questions because we have so many here is that okay ken so um so uh mahmoud asked me how would you define mediterranean cuisine and that's a really good question, one that I, um, you know, one that I answer in different ways to different people. And the reason is when people think of Mediterranean cuisine, they often think of, uh, you know, it's Italian or is it Greek or is it Spanish? But the truth is there's 20 some odd countries which border the Mediterranean. So to me, Mediterranean cuisine is authentic cuisine that comes from any of those 20 some odd countries. I mean, it's just, you know, there's an incredible amount of uh, ethnic cuisines, which people do not readily explore because they kind of get stuck on that Greek Italian thing. And I think it's just a whole other, a whole other world out there. In fact, if you look at mostly Italy, Italy, the food is so regionalized that when I'm, whenever I travel to a different region, I'm blown away because I see stuff I didn't know existed before. And most Americans don't realize that, that in most countries, the food is so regionalized that we only become familiar with it in this country you know, with one or two reasons. So um, I hope that answers the question. Uh, here's a couple of other questions let's answer. Uh, what are your suggestions for people wanting to use their culinary skills to travel? Okay, here's a good one. There's tons and tons of culinary travel groups out there right now. And uh, you can just Google culinary travel and there's a million things that come up. I will tell you that I went to Vietnam with a company called Intrepid Travel. And I love them because when I travel, I want to see the real country. I don't want to go on a typical tourist trip. And uh, they, they, their culinary tour of Vietnam was spectacular. I'll never forget it. And there are others out there. There are just literally dozens out there. So it's a really easy thing to find. And there's all sorts of culinary uh, world adventures. There's ones for singles. There's ones for couples. There's one for older people. You know, it's just it's a, it's, it's amazing. You can find anything you want now. 
Uh, here's one. Uh, how do you research local substitutes for ingredients difficult to source? That's kind of a hard one because usually, you know, produce is kind of central to the area of the country during the season. So, you know, if you're talking about other things beside the, the, the produce, uh, you know, again, online is your greatest resource. So if you're looking for dairy substitutes or sugar substitutes or anything like that, you know, you could just find anything you want. And if you're a little creative, you can kind of come up with your own. Like, for example, I was making a dish the other night. I wanted to thicken it, but some of the guests were gluten-free. So I used the rice flour that I brought back from Vietnam. It's a toasted rice flour. And I kind of built a roux around it like you would using flour, which I'd never done before, by the way. And if it didn't come out so good, I probably wouldn't be talking about it right now. But but it came out really good. I used toasted rice flour. So I think just kind of looking, searching around online and using your own, you know, creativity is is a kind of a, you know, a really good way. Here's one about veganism. How do you teach professional chefs to understand the difference in vegan entree versus side dishes? And I think, you know, look, menu engineering is a lot different than it used to be. There's kind of almost in a way no such thing now as an entree or a side dish or an appetizer or a share plate or a small portion or tapas. It's just different these days. I mean, people, any magazine you pick up for professionals, Johnny, um, you know, will tell you the same thing. Our eating patterns are different. We could live by snacking all day and all night long. We never eat, even need to eat an entree. In fact, I don't know, I, I travel all over the country and, uh, you know, I, I think that that's one thing I've noticed that the whole menu categories have changed immensely. And so, you know, there's no more walls, if you will. Um, <laughs> that could probably be a lot of jokes uh, on that punchline, Ken, but I'll spare everybody, okay? So uh, here's one that says, uh, <laughs> Ricky Moore, well, I know who that is. Uh, I think I went to school with Ricky uh, a few years ago. He asked me if I have plans for another cookbook, placing vegetables at the center of a plate. I don't know. I, I mean, I'm, you know, writing is a very strange profession. I, I know that you, um, I know that you write also, Ken, and I think it's a, it's a kind of a lonely, very isolated uh, labor of love. And the publishing industry has really changed a lot over the years. So I think when I'm, when I'm not out in the field consulting and just kind of doing what I love to do, which is building teams and, uh, and working in different operations, I'll probably settle down to another book. But the next one I do is probably going to be more of a, of a story about the different places around the world I've worked and the different cooking um, eras of my long career and more of a life story. I have to think about that one, though, because it's like it's almost like people – read online these days, not so much, you know, there's not so much book giving anymore, although I still love them. Do you read books, Ken? Do you still have like a library like I do, or do you just do everything online? Yeah, absolutely. I still read real books. <laughs> yeah, real books. I know. Yeah, it's absolutely. weird, isn't it? I mean, I still kind of like it too, you know. I, it's um, it's interesting, you know, things have changed, right? Yeah, so, absolutely. This question uh, by Hilda is, how can Argentine's diet provide the needed nutrients? The plates are mostly meats. It's a funny thing that you say that because it's not just the Argentinian diet. I mean, uh, I work extensively in Hawaii, and I spent the whole last year and a half working with locals. And I can tell you that, and I know I'm generalizing here, but I know it's also true. For the most part, 
uh, traditional Hawaiian diet does not include a lot of vegetables outside of taro, which is, you know, a very starchy kind of vegetable. I mean, and it's also the same here in South Florida. We have very large ethnic populations. And I can tell you that, um, for example, the Cuban population is largely meat-based outside of the rice and beans and yuca. But it's funny because I was working with a, uh, a, uh, a Latin supermarket corporation down here, and they wanted to put in hot bars and stuff. And um, I noticed that they didn't serve any vegetables uh, in the, uh, you know, in the traditional supermarkets that they had. Um, and I kind of felt like, like any other culture moving forward, um, whether it's Hawaii or here in South Florida, I think the older traditional generations were not brought up eating a lot of plant-based food and vegetables, but as the younger generation continued to move forward, there is more of a desire to, to change that and to eat better things that are healthier for you. So, you know, um, you know, like anything else, change, you know, things move forward and, you know, now they have vegetables in their, in their, uh, in their hot case. And, uh, you know, according to the people I speak to, they're doing really well. So things just change. I think to answer your question though, I think it has to come from the desire of the people who are going out and dining and eating in supermarkets and restaurants. I think if they request things and enough people want them, they have to provide them to make their consumer base happy, you know, it's supply and demand, right? So here's a question. Is there a book or article that tells each what each spice tastes like and goes with what foods by Elaine B? Um, you know, there's just tons of stuff out there. All you need to do is just, you know, look it up. I, I will tell you that some of the interesting things I've seen lately are spice charts. In other words, it's like a, you could order it online. It's like a, like a spinning wheel, like a, like a game show wheel. And it's set up so that, you know, you'll you'll spin the wheel and a spice will come up and then it'll tell you like what kind of dishes it goes with and what kind of flavor profiles are better. And so, you know, you can just look that up online. But that was kind of fascinating one to me. Um, here's a question from uh, Nancy. When am I coming to Sedona? And uh, I will have to tell you, as soon as that urge to hike in the Red Rocks and listen to the quiet comes which it does quite often, I will be there. It's one of my favorite places. Have you been there, Ken? A lot of time hiking in there, so it's great. Yeah, it's great beautiful, spot. beautiful hiking. Quick story. Last time I went there, um, I was kind of a Sedona newbie, and I was out in the wilderness. I just left my car. I was putting all my stuff together, and all of a sudden, I heard this crazy noise coming out of the brush, and I, in three minutes later, I was surrounded by a, I don't even know what you call it, a pack of peccary. Is that what you call them? You know those wild pigs? So, so yeah, so that, I saw the headlines flash in front of my eyes, Ken, like a bad dream. Chef attacked by wild boar pack. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I kind of felt justice has been served, you know. <laughs> so so uh, here's a question by Noreen. When do you think there will be widespread plant-based fast food restaurants? Boy, this is a great question because um, I was just out in California last week talking to a large company who's spreading throughout the country uh, with a, that will be a vegetarian fast food chain. And I have worked for one two years ago. I worked for one based in Chicago. So they're out there. I think that if they're shown to be profitable and in demand, uh, there will be more of them. But I think like anything else, it's a business. 
and um, you know whoever invests in these businesses is going to expect you know a return. But but they are coming. There are two now that I know of that are fairly large scale. But the great thing about all this is, um, you know, it's kind of the situation where remember a couple of years ago, you could, if you asked if you told somebody you were a vegetarian in a restaurant, they gave you an iceberg salad and a baked potato or French fries or both. So you know you you can go into you remember that Ken? I mean I'm not kidding, right? Yeah, it was that or pasta Alfredo or some yeah. you know, pasta primavera or some yeah, pasta, pasta dish. Yeah, it was a pasta primavera. That's always a great one. I, I think that, um, you know, now you can go into any restaurant now and get, a, I think, a pretty good vegetarian dish. I mean, certainly out where you were. I was blown away by the food in Portland, you know, not even in restaurants. It, I had some of the best, you know, delicious dishes and food pods, you know. So I think that, you know, I think it's all it's it's coming. It's come a long way, you know, but it's it's. It's coming quickly now. Uh, what to replace cheese and milk and Indian foods and still retain our authentic flavors? That's a challenging one for Harriet because I think that there's some really good vegan cheeses out there now, as you know, Ken. I have not tried them in Indian cuisine, and I'm not sure of the melt factor or how they hold up. But, um, you know, there's some cuisines that it's a bit more challenging to do non-dairy or, or vegan if they are authentically done otherwise. So my you know my own personal cooking philosophy is try to try to stay what you have uh you know i mean try to try to if you're doing vegan or vegetarian food don't try to emulate foods that are very meat laden and expect to get the same results because you just don't i mean it's you know don't do what you can't do and i think you know ken you didn't ask me this question but a lot of people do if there's something that i'm going to have etched on my tombstone when i when i when i go and it, and it's going to be uh don't create what you can't execute 24-7, you know? Don't create it if you can't do it, you know, seven days a week. Just don't. You'll, be, you'll, be, you'll disappoint people, you know? So Mahmoud asks, how do you introduce veggies to a Saudi Arabian cuisine that is heavily based on meat? Same thing, you know, we just talked about earlier. Um, there has to be a demand for it. I think the way to do that is to have, you know, restaurants and markets offer these things to see if they go first. And then uh, just make it happen because if there's no demand for it, you know, it's just it's just not going to be put out there. So I find that typically speaking, if you have a younger generation that's not so traditional, that's kind of looking forward to that next, you know, that next phase, it's a good time to introduce it, you know, regardless of where it is. So, so again, you know, request and demand and supply. That's what it's all about. For sure. Wonderful. Wow. That was a, a great set of questions there, Steve. And really um, just want to thank you for the amazing insight and, uh, you know, for answering those questions. So honestly, with just so much detail, um, I know we have students from all around the world and they're really, um, you know, obviously very, very kind of concerned with a lot of the same topics that we've discussed today around ingredients and health and how to make cuisines in various locales. Um, you know, represent the the other parts of our lives that we're trying to push for. You know, to eat healthier and have less of a of a footprint on the on the planet and so on. So it's just great yes. to kind of hear your um, very practical approach and kind of the the way that you described it unfolding um, in a way that is just so so honest and so much in line with uh, the story that we're trying to tell around food, where it's it's very much a journey right it's very much this uh it's a journey living yes. breathing thing so that's a good way to put it. it's a journey i mean it can if anybody i don't know if it's okay i mentioned this if anybody wants recipes or anything my website 
I have a ton of stuff on it. So it's just my name dot com, you know, Stephen dot com. You probably put it up somewhere, but I have a lot of uh, interesting recipes from different books that I have up there. Wonderful. Yeah, we definitely encourage all of our students to check that out. I'm going to get a lot of good inspiration from that. So, again, thank you so much for, for joining us, Steve. And, um, you know, definitely looking forward to having you uh, back again. And um, really, again, thank you to all the students and participants who joined us today. Rose, happy to use some of the great things happening in the world of food and health. So I uh, appreciate you tuning in today. Have a great day. Appreciate it.